if you keep every day different, then you start to crave it, and then you start wanting new experiences, and you want things to change, and you want to meet new people, and if you get too comfortable, then you're really happy with the same people, and you're really happy with your same work, and you're really happy with the same place that you are, and certainly nothing's wrong with that, but for me, I get I get antsy and nervous and weird, and I just kind of, I have to go somewhere or do something or do something different. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 249, Edwin Olding talks about his experiences on the Seven Devils through hike and life on the road as a filmmaker. Welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. My guest today is Edwin Olding. And if you guys remember Sam Thackeray on episode 239, Sam was talking about the Seven Devils through hike. Well, his buddy Edwin is the filmmaker. He's the filmographer of, um, or the videographer of that, that trip. So if you guys got a chance to go out to see the YouTube video of it, it's Edwin that actually did the, uh, the, the filming and the creation of it. So Edward is joining us from Costa Rica today, which is pretty darn cool. And we're going to talk a little bit about some adventure, his experiences with the Seven Devils, and the guy's been all around the world so far. So I want to get a little bit of a taste of each of the countries that uh, that you've been in, Edwin. So welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, good to have you. So Costa Rica, man. I mean, you're down there. I think you said you've been down there for four weeks already. And uh, you just, what took you down there? You're just kind of chilling out and... Uh, watching the sites or what? Yeah, I was actually here uh, before Christmas and I only had two weeks and I wanted to come back because it's definitely a country that you need to spend more than two weeks in. And then uh, I plan on going to Nicaragua for a while and Guatemala after this. And it's really cold back home in North Idaho and I'm really into surfing as of late. So that's the plan for now. Yeah. (laughs) Right on. All right, so let's go into a little bit of you in North Idaho. So before we get into some of our adventure and world travel, let us in on a little bit about who you are and uh, where you come from. What's your background? Yeah, well, I'm from uh, Clark Fork, Idaho, which is a small town uh, way up north by Lake Ponderé. And it's about 500 people, really tiny. But, um, but yeah, I grew up there snowboarding and going on the boat with my family. And it's one of my favorite places in the world. Right on. Yeah, I imagine you can't do a whole lot of surfing up there, so you probably made a good move to, to get down to Costa Rica. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even know that surfing existed until I was a teenager. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right, man. You gotta space your adventure sports out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's talk about going on the road. I think uh you know, I was I was looking in on some of your videos and which are very good by the way. You're a very good uh uh filmographer and uh or videographer. What do you guys call it? Videography? Um, yeah, it's hard because everyone used to say filmmaker, but now no one uses actual film cameras anymore. So really we're video makers or I still say I'm a filmer cause that's easy, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but well, then, but then film, filmmaker is normally what I say cause I do a lot of editing as well. So all the videos on my personal channel I've edited and then 
a lot of the professional stuff I've done, I've edited as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you're the videographer, you might actually not actually be the editor. So I get it. I see the situation. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I just call myself a filmmaker. I get it. I get it. <laughs> well, your stuff is very good. I've been, uh, I was watching it. Uh, of course, I watched the Seven Devils film was the first time I, I got an introduction to you. But uh, in researching, I was watching some of the other stuff and I like what you do. You have a, you have a talent there for sure. Thanks. So let's talk about you going on the rogues. I think at some point you decided to go ahead and build out the, the bed of a truck and just go on the road and live for a while. So what was it that drew you to that? At some point you just decided to, I'm going to throw caution to the wind and go live, live out of a pickup truck. Yeah, that's, I mean, it was really surfing that made me do it because I was in Idaho and I knew winter was coming and I've been snowboarding my whole life since I was eight years old and skiing since I was three. And so I just really wanted a new challenge. And I thought that I'd be really good at it because I've been skateboarding and snowboarding my whole life. And then what happened was, is uh, one of my best friends lives in Southern California. And so I called him up and I was like, hey, can I just come hang out for like 10 days and we'll surf and we'll just kill it. That's that's what I thought, you know, 10 days, figure it out, have some fun. I thought that'd be enough. And so first day we go to Huntington Beach and the waves are huge. And the first wave I try to stand up on, I get smashed and then pulled into the turbulence. And then the uh, my fin actually sliced my foot clean open. And we had the <laughs> I went to the beach and it was just swollen and bleeding everywhere and I was like oh man surfing is harder than I thought so we went to the emergency room and I was supposed to get stitches but we were planning on hiking in Zion later and so I had them just uh, do the the butterfly stitches with the the tape things and so uh, I thought that I could get away with hiking but the second we started hiking it split open again so that wasn't my best move but but I, I realized that that surfing needed way more time to figure out. And I'm, when I get into something, I kind of go all in and I was looking at vans and I already had a truck and it's four wheel drive and I want to be able to go anywhere. So four wheel drive vans are really expensive. <laughs> and so I, uh, yeah, I just looked up if anyone was living in the back of their truck and then I saw some ideas and then I kind of made it my own and the the design of the back of my truck is actually based off of the whole of sailing ships uh sailboats that are about 32 feet long and they have the same arch at the top and so i just saw these cool little bookshelves and that was my main thing at the time i was reading heavily and all i wanted to do was hang out on the beach and read and surf so i built that uh cab in the back of my truck uh all the wood was was from dead cedar trees on my parents' property that I milled myself. And, yeah, it turned out really cool, and I really liked it. I got a drawer underneath my bed for all my wetsuits and uh, camping gear and all the adventure gear you'd need. I've done snowboard trips with it where I've had my snowboard gear in there. And then on the Seven Devils trips, I had uh, or trip. I had my rafting gear and my life jacket and paddle and all that stuff in there. So it's really done the trick so far. Yeah, I saw your outfit. It looks really good. And I did notice those bookshelves up in there. I thought you did a great job with that. And it's such a, you know, living out of a, a truck or a van is, or a sailboat for that matter is you have to find 
all these little nooks and crannies and, and places to store stuff because you don't realize how much you're trying to put into that thing and how much doesn't fit. So you have to be uh, yeah. very efficient with where you're actually storing things. Yeah, I lived in there for eight months straight without sleeping inside of, because I went, I was camping as well, but for the most part, I was living in that truck for eight months straight until I slept in my first real bed. So everything that I owned that I needed had to go with me. And it actually proved to me that a lot of the stuff I had, I absolutely did not need. Like it was just laying around. I never used it and I never even realized. So that was a really cool uh, experience just seeing what parts of my life or what things that I buy that I actually use and, and need. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's such a cool feeling to be able to to be self-reliant in a in a vehicle like that. I had talking about outfitting vehicles. I uh I lifted a GMC Safari of all things. You don't see that happen too often, but it turned yeah. out to be a really good little adventure van for one person. It's all-wheel drive. It's got a lift and bigger tires and an awning and the rack. I built a sink on the inside and a bed in the back and and if I can, you know, basically use that as my base camp, then I have everything I need right there and take all my, my toys with me and then go do what I want to do, but have a comfortable place to sleep at night and not have to worry about paying for camping, you know, sitting out on BLM land or state forest or something like that. And, uh, man, it's such a, it's such an awesome way to go. You have comfort and your, your fun at the same time. Yeah. I, I gotta say, I'm definitely going to do a van next mainly because of the the headroom right, right. <laughs> it's very nice so i can't cook in my truck which which in my head being from idaho and stuff it's like oh yeah i'll just cook on my tailgate but you can't really cook on your tailgate in the middle of southern california because it's <laughs> it's busy and then it's obvious that you're being a dirtbag and living in your car and that's one thing that's really cool about the truck too is i never never gotten any cops knocking on my window or anything like that because it really didn't seem like a type of vehicle that someone would be living in but uh my 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 bud who i do all my uh no anchor videos with he actually is building up a uh a big ford van the the 350 with the huge diesel engine i don't know exactly the one but but he's restoring it all right now and putting in wood floors and so Nice. I'm going to help him with that when I get back and actually make a video about that too. So I'm really excited about that project. Uh, van life is crazy right now. Everybody wants to do van life. You uh, look at Instagram or YouTube and it's all over the place. It's the, it's the craze. And I think that's why the sprinters are so darn expensive is everybody wants to buy even the used ones. Got 150,000 miles on them. They're still asking 10 grand for the things. It's outrageous. But everybody's yeah. buying them, you know. But that headroom, I mean, that's, it might be worth it mm-hmm. if you got the money. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally get it. I would buy one if I wanted to, to spend $10,000 on a vehicle with 150,000 miles, but I don't think I do. So that's why I lifted a GMC Safari. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, I like the way you did it too. That's, that sounds about right. <laughs> that's right. It's cheap. It's cheap. Um, so yeah. let's talk about No Anchor and your quote. Your quote on your intro video um, is that I want every day to be different. I like that quote. I mean, it obviously tells us what it's about, but what is your take on that? Why, why that quote? I think, I think that quote for me just keeps me on my toes and keeps me learning and uh, keeps me pushing myself in places where I'm not totally sure about, which is, which is every time I do it, it's exactly where I want to be, but a lot of times I get comfortable and it's really hard to see that. So if you keep every day different, then you start to crave it and then you start 
wanting new experiences and you want things to change and you want to meet new people. And if you get too comfortable, then you're really happy with the same people and you're really happy with your same work and you're really happy with the same place that you are. And certainly nothing's wrong with that. But for me, I get, I get antsy and nervous and weird and I just kind of, I have to go somewhere or do something or do something different. And that was, I, I guess it was more, building the truck was more for that reason than just surfing. It was what surfing, I guess the romance of what it appealed to me is like living in a truck, being by myself. So I was forced to meet other people. I was forced to have conversations with other surfers or other people on the beach. And, um, and that's exactly what had happened. And ever since I did that, that was in, I believe, September of 2015. So over two years now, I've, I haven't lived in one place for over a month. I've just been back and forth and back and forth. And it's, I feel like I've grown more in, since doing that and learned more since doing that than I ever have combined. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know the question on everybody's mind right now as they listen to you talk about this is how in the world do you afford to do this? I mean, I'm sure <laughs> in a truck, you know, what you're doing, it's, uh, it's pretty simple and inexpensive, but money's got to come from somewhere. So how do you fund this? How can, you know, how can other people try to do the same thing? Yeah, that is, that is definitely the main question I get. And um, the answer is pretty simple. I live simply and my job allows me to do it from basically anywhere. And a lot of times brings me to places where I'd never get to go before. Through filming, I've been able to go to small islands on the Philippines and do a pretty extensive tour through China and uh, coming up in April and going to Thailand and that's through filming and not just not just filming but filming trips exclusively so I really believe that the work you do is what you're gonna get hired for like I think if you wanna go film adventure sports you shouldn't film uh, just weddings over and over right, again and then right. tell people you want to film adventure sports. I think you should go find your buds, make the film, then someone's going to see that and then they're going to say, oh, that's the kind of content I want. Will you do it for me? And then you can charge the money for it. That's that's the way that, that I did it at least. I started making, uh, I moved to Florida right when I turned 18 and um, that was actually for DJing and I uh, bought a camera to to promote my music and I ended up liking that more than making the music and so I started doing music videos with my friends and then I started filming surf videos and wakeboarding videos and then people saw that and then eventually that led to what I'm doing now but, but yeah the main thing I do it's as far as like keeping it going this long is just uh, film, film the project, save my money, um, editing I can do from pretty much anywhere uh, as long as there's internet and power, <laughs> which a lot of the places I go, they're not, but, <laughs> but I kind of got to go inland a little bit to get those fancy things. But, but yeah, I mean, it's living as cheaply as possible and then being really aware of where your money's going. I actually write down every single night, every single penny I spent that day. And then 
through halfway through the month I do averages and then at the end of the month I do an average of the month and by no means do I make a lot of money. I just kind of make it work. And then another really cool thing is I don't have any debt. So my truck is paid for and I never got any student loans or anything like that, which a lot of people my age do have. Um, but that's been really helpful as far as not needing a solid, stable job. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that you answered the question that way. Um, I think what happens, and I and I know what happens, I'm going to bring up a, a review quote here in a second of our show. Um, what happens is a lot of people will listen in and just think that there's a bunch of trust fund kids running around doing adventure sports and living every day like a dream um, mm-hmm. without have, ever having to worry about money. And it's just not the case. I mean, some people have that that luxury but most yeah. of the people we talk to either either have a full-time job and are saving up and making sure that their true passion in life is paid for because that is their vacation and they're getting out and doing these things. Others obviously are sponsored uh, and they make their money that way. But then there are the whole slew of guys like you and girls that are able to have a full-time job and earn an income, but they've figured out how to do what they love and do it on the road in a way that they can support their, their passions. And I think that's a, a huge key. I bring it up because uh, in uh, iTunes, we had a, a recent review and the guy apparently doesn't like our show, but I got a chuckle out of his, his quote and I wrote it down for myself so I can remember not to ever think this. But he said, I cannot listen to this hipster rubbish, get a job. And I thought, who in the world <laughs> would have the drive to go do something? And, and I take the words get a job is meaning get a job, do something you're not really passionate about. Right. So if you have that mentality, who in the world has that, that drive to go do that instead of go find a way to fund your passion and do like you're doing. So I think you're the perfect person to, uh, to talk to about that. And I'm so glad you answered the question like you did. Yeah. And, and I'd actually have more to say about that too. It's, it's not like I feel People who haven't traveled and especially haven't traveled long term don't know how cheap it is. Like, you could go to three countries and spend a month away from home and only spend $1,000 including flights. Easy. Right. Easy. And I feel like the way that we're advertised to, especially in America, is, oh, look at this super fancy hotel that costs $200 a night. And then when you're here, you're going to do these three tours that are going to cost you another $100. And then you're going to go to the fancy Americanized bar and then spend $30 on drinks and dinner. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. But if you do that, you're, you're going to miss out on the actual place. You're, you're never going to find an authentic local person to talk to. You're never going to you're never going to stumble upon your new favorite little beach that's hidden in some nook. You're, you're not going to find the things that at least I, and I'm sure you do too, like most about traveling. And, and when you spend time in the cheaper places and just have make your trip longer instead of shorter and more expensive, and then you can do so much more. But, but yeah, I think that, there's that, and most jobs only allow you to take two weeks off a year, which if you only have two weeks off, you're probably going to, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do if I only had two weeks a year. <laughs> right, well, you're suffocated <laughs> in reality. I mean, yeah. because you're probably going to use one of those weeks up for you know maybe some sick time or you know other things that you really need to get taken yeah. care of that aren't necessarily yeah, like, vacation and travel. Mm-hmm, like weddings, and then mm-hmm. you lost half of your vacation time in one wedding, and it's, 
if you got these things that you want to do, I'm of the opinion that you should go do it. Even if you, even if you work your job for three years and then quit and travel for a year and then find a new job. I don't know. I, I guess I've never, it's probably how I was raised. My dad was very entrepreneurial. He, he started working when he was 14 and paid his way through a master's degree and then got got out of that without any debt because he was working construction the whole time. It took him two extra years to finish because he was working at the same time. But once he got out, he was done and then he could go do what he wanted. And then since I think my parents always did what they wanted, then I kind of got this idea in my head that I could do that too. But yeah, I gathered that. I can see your dad cheering you on as you're visiting different locales down there from Cuba and Nicaragua. And I can see him in the, in the background on Facebook just cheering you on. I thought that was pretty cool because you think a, a lot of parents are probably opposite of that and thinking, get a job, kid. You know, but at the same time, you're, 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 you're living a dream right now. And, you know, I'm sure at some point, you know, unless you, you make it big with the, uh, the filmmaking stuff, you know, at some point you do have to kind of change directions. But one of the yeah. things I noticed in what you were talking about is one of the things that you're figuring out how to do is manage money where a lot of people, you know, in, in the Western world will just go into all of that debt. And then all of a sudden we are strapped down with jobs, you know, so you're a young guy, you figured out how to get things paid off, not have debt and go out and really enjoy uh, life on a limited budget. And I think uh, being able to relay that to other people is a, is a good thing. Yeah. Definitely. And I think, too, uh, something else that traveling really teaches you, if, like if, like when I was in California, I only expected to be there for a month. I thought, a month of living in my truck, I'm going to be done. <laughs> and so I'd saved up a certain amount of money. And then once I realized that I was going to want to be there for more than a month, then I started eating differently and spending my time differently. And then really being aware of how much I was driving and how much gas I was using. And just in my eating habits alone, I was doubled my time there and I was eating more healthily. So I mean, that, that little realization in itself was worth the whole trip. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. 
Hey, Adventure Sports Podcast listeners, it's Travis and Kurt here. We are two years old now, and Kurt and I wanted to build something out that gave you guys some great value, but also was a way to help support the Adventure Sports Podcast. So what we have for you guys now is a brand new site. It's um, ASP Member Deals, and the website is members.adventuresportspodcast.com. And what this site is, is a way for you guys to get awesome discounts on everything adventure. So you basically sign up for a small uh, monthly or annual subscription fee and you get in there and you have access to all kinds of um, adventure oriented companies. So this is a, like I said, it's a way for you guys to support our show, but it's also a way for us to give back to you guys. So instead of just asking for handouts to help support the show, we wanted to give you guys a way to, uh, to get some value out of that, uh, out of that donation. So that with uh, sponsorship that we take in that we have been doing is, uh, allows us to support the show and keep us, uh, bringing great material and, and awesome, uh, interviews to you guys. So Kurt, tell us a little bit more about what we're offering now. Sure. You bet. So members.adventuresportspodcast.com. Any of you can go there now and see a front page of all these different offers. And then if you actually want to take advantage of the discounts that are there and become a member, then it is a paid membership. We think that it's very affordable, but we wanted to talk a little bit about what some of the savings are that you can get by becoming a member of the Adventure Sports Podcast community. And uh, so let's just list a few, Travis. Um, Travis has worked really, really hard on getting this website put together, and also uh, we've worked together to get these companies for you out of the people that we have met in the Adventure Sports Podcast community, and I'm just really excited to share it with you guys. So first one on the list, 180TAC, imagine that. So the Adventure Sports Podcast, of course, is brought to you by our company, 180TAC, and we sell outdoors products primarily, um, lightweight backpacking stoves that use natural fuels. You get 25% off on 180TAC products when you become a member. The next one is Marauder Sailing Charters. This is out of Vieques, Puerto Rico, and Nate Mar there is offering 10% off on the sailing charters in this most beautiful tropical setting. So that's a really cool one. A Trailmaster Adventure Gear. So these guys offer products for adventure motorcycling, and they're offering 20% off. I think you're starting to get a, a theme here. These are decent amounts saved, and if you take advantage of even one of these, it generally will pay for about a year or more of your membership. I mean, for instance, the 10% off at Marauder, that's like 250 bucks. So that's a major savings. Travis, what else do you do you see on the page there? Well, our buddy Brian Snyder, you guys have heard about him talking about his day hiking uh, expeditions. He writes books, as you guys have known, and he's uh, giving free books out to our members. We also have John Fielder, Nature Photography. Um, those in Colorado really know John Fielder well. Uh, he's offering 20% off in his gallery. Uh, AZT Expeditions, we had these guys on. Um, Matt McPhee was on talking about what they do. They, they basically porter the equipment. So if you guys want to go on a mountain bike ride you know, along the Arizona Trail or hiking or running, they'll uh, take your equipment from camp to camp so you don't have to carry it with you. They're offering 20% off of their trips. 
man, I really liked the sound of those trips, Travis. At first, I was like, well, couldn't I carry my own gear? But the the reality is they're not just carrying the gear. They're also helping to set up camp and they're creating a, a group kind of camaraderie. And they plan the trip out, so there's a, it's a lot safer. And you can just show up if you need to, rent a bike, and they take care of everything else. And you just get to ride for several days. You get to just enjoy the trails, which I think is awesome. Yeah, no doubt. So we also have the Colorado Mountain Club. So Colorado Mountain Club has been around in Colorado for a very long time. They teach all sorts of mountaineering skills, rock climbing skills, camping skills, backpacking skills, that sort of thing. Uh, they have uh, group trips by the hundreds that you can participate in. Just a wonderful organization if you want to meet other people that love mountains and you want to learn more about mountaineering and backpacking and that sort of thing. They're offering a 15% off of their membership fee. So that's the Colorado Mountain Club. Uh, Travis, help us out with Rever. What's this one about? Yeah, so this is another one for our uh, motorcycle adventurers. And as you guys know, I'm uh, an avid motorcyclist, and uh, I probably talk uh, about it a little bit too much. But Rever is a a route planning uh, app, and uh, you can use it online. Uh, in a web browser, but you can basically plan all your routes and then transfer them either out to a uh, GPS or you by using the app, you can just send it over to your smartphone and you can use that as your navigation on your motorcycle. So Rever is offering 15% off of that, which is very cool. Yeah. So we have Vegas indoor skydiving. Everyone knows what indoor skydiving is these days. Essentially, you're flying in the air above a giant fan, which I think is so cool. 20% off in Vegas for that one. Yep, and if you're a runner, you know Jeff Galloway. Uh, Jeff was nice enough to offer our members 15% off of um, books and DVDs in his stores. So if you can click through uh, Jeff Galloway's site, you can go see uh, what he's got to offer and uh, save some money for there uh, from there for sure. So we have Alan Carl. Uh, he was just on again recently. Alan's the guy that uh, did Forks the book where he traveled around on his BMW around the world and basically portrayed the, uh, the, the best food dish from every country. So Alan's offering our members 20% off if, uh, if you're a member of the site. We also have Louisville. Um, they're basically a post-workout recovery supplement. They also do a coffee. So Louisville is offering uh, 20% to our members too. You guys also may remember Davy Duplessis. Um, he basically did a paddling trip for, had planned on doing it for the entire length of the Amazon River until he basically came under fire from the banks. And uh, he was basically dragged into the woods and had to survive um, and get out of there alive. So his book um, is also on our site. And that's a great, great story if you guys haven't heard the show to, uh, to check out. So... Uh, definitely some discounts on his book as well. So Avid for Adventure is offering $15 off. Now, Travis, this was on any of their events, right? Exactly. Yeah, just register and they're doing a flat $15 savings. So Avid for Adventure leads uh, group trips out to do various adventures in the Front Range of Colorado. Really, really neat organization. You can learn a lot more about them from our website. But And you should know, when you click through to look at these... Um, it gives you a lot of detail about what is being offered in particular. It gives you a lot of beautiful pictures. Travis worked really hard to take these all set up so you can actually see the deal. And then, of course, there are links so you can click through to the organizations and get even more information that way. So it's a, a nice um, one-stop shop. We also have House of Motorad. Travis, tell us about that one. 
Yeah, so Ben Kreiderman at uh, House of Motorrad in Boulder. If you guys are looking to come out to Colorado and rent a, a motorcycle and uh, go on a cool trip, or if you're in the area and you need uh, some accessories or service on your bikes, House of Motorrad was nice enough to offer 15% for our members as well. Yeah, and Travis and I have uh, rented bikes for them and gone on adventures on those bikes. And, man, they've got the best dual sports around. I I really enjoyed it. I That's where I got to ride my my uh, F800GS, Travis. It was awesome. Yeah, that was definitely a fun day. We've got to do that again soon. We also have Matt Pryor. Uh, he was on the show, and uh, you may remember from the show, he offers Adventure Academy. And what this is is for people that want to go on adventure trips – he takes people on these trips, organizes the trips, and he teaches the adventure skills you need. So if you're especially interested, I think, in in trying something adventurous, but you don't really know how you do everything, then Matt Pryor takes care of you there. You save $200 on one of his Adventure Academy trips. Yeah, those would be fun. And what he does is he basically basically takes applications because he only takes just a few people on each one of these trips. So it's very uh, one-on-one. So you have to apply for it. But uh, if and when you're accepted, then yeah, 200 bucks off of that is pretty pretty good. Yep. We also have Double Take Mirror, um, another cool one for our motorcycle enthusiasts. Um, these are mirrors and they are basically breakaways. So they're basically uh, built on ram mounts and virtually indestructible. So uh, all the good adventure bikes and uh, dual sport bikes out there, uh, when you see pictures of them, they have double take mirrors on them um, because they can fold in and they just get away. So they're offering 15% off. And core third, you may recall the recent podcast with Zach Smith. Um, He does the humanitarian work all around the planet, but especially in Africa and his photovoltaic company core third that sells a variety of photovoltaics but also some of them are very good for backpacking they're the right weight or the right um, amperage and everything you need to charge cell phones and take care of stuff while you're backpacking 30 percent off very generous 30 percent off on core third so we also have Green Goo. Uh, we met Green Goo um, at the outdoor retailer, and they have some cool products. They have sunscreen, deodorant, uh, lip balm, um, all kinds of stuff that is uh, made from nature, you know, for us on the trail. So it keeps the uh, keeps the weather from tearing apart our bodies. So Green Goo is offering 20% off. You know, Travis, you and I don't think much about this, but I believe they also have natural cosmetics there, right? <laughs> yes, true. And, <laughs> What are those? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you're right. They do. They have a lot. Of we stuff. should mention because they have a lot of different products. You should go to the website and check them out. 20% off. Paragus Northwoods. I love this one. So Paragus is on uh, on Boundary Waters and they're outfitters for Boundary Waters canoe trips, which are so much fun. And they're offering 20% off on the outfitting for a canoe trip. These are really, really nice canoe trips. Um, Steve Paragus there uses only top-notch gear and really, really light gear to make your trip more enjoyable. So check that out. If you've ever wanted to go see Boundary Waters, which I would highly encourage, you can save 20%. Yep. And then we uh, have Gorilla Goods. So more trail foods. You guys are looking for trail snacks. Gorilla Goods is a uh, a neat company to check out. Um, The cool thing is they're giving our members 15% off. But at the same time, when you guys buy uh, trail snacks from them, 2% of their proceeds go to the Diane Fossey Gorilla Foundation. So that's kind of a cool way to give back too. Check them out. And Paleo Meals to Go, which is really cool. This is backpacking food, but it's paleo. 
and it's also gluten-free and other things. So if you have allergy issues or if you're on a paleo diet or if you just want really, really tasty food in the woods, then Paleo Meals to Go is offering 20% off on their backpacking food. So, man, that's quite a list, Travis. Um, And we're just getting started. We're going to continue to add people and companies to this list to give you new, fresh offers all the time. And our hope is that you'll see the value in not only the Adventure Sports Podcast and want to support us there, but that you'll see the value in these companies and that you'll sign up for either a monthly membership or an annual membership so you can save some money with an annual membership. And Travis, we have a special offer if people want to do an annual. What is that about? Yeah, so four ninety five is the monthly, and again, it's just it's each month you just get billed your four ninety five. Um, and obviously, we encourage you to stick around because we're constantly looking for more companies to put on it. So it's always going to be evolving. But if you go in and you're interested in an annual uh, membership, you get a great deal on it. And what we're doing is because we are uh, brought to you by one eighty TAC. We are the company one eighty TAC uh, for our annual uh, subscriptions. We are giving you guys a free 180 stove. I mean, this is a $55 stove retail. And if you sign up for an annual uh, membership, then you get a free stove with that annual. So I think that's a pretty good deal. That's a that's a major value uh, over the monthly. So up to you guys. You can go either way, but check that out for sure. Well, if you do the annual membership and you get the free stove, then you've essentially paid for your annual membership. You're getting enough value out of the stove to pay for almost the whole annual membership right there. So... Pretty fun. Um, I hope that our listeners, Travis, will get the idea of what we're trying to do here, some of the bullet points. We want them to have an opportunity to support the show, but in so doing, we want to make sure that we're giving back in a way that can be a real value for them. And so if you are planning your adventure trips for the summer or you're looking for some adventure gear, then by being a member of the Adventure Sports Podcast members site then you'd have access to all this stuff and you can save a lot of money. You can support the show at the same time. And I'm really excited about the program. I think it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. So guys, go check out members.adventuresportspodcast.com and do us a huge favor. Share it with all of your other adventuring friends and let them know that they can get some great deals on the site as well. And I have to say, if you have an adventure-related company out there and you would like for us to try to funnel some of our Adventure Sports Podcast community to your website so that they can see what you have to offer, let us know. We'll get you on the site. Well, there you have it. So check out the ASP member deals site at members.adventuresportspodcast.com. Get in there, sign up for a plan, and get yourself some great deals. Thanks, guys. Now that we've uh, figured out or found out how you do it, let's talk about where you do it. So starting with the the seven devils, and I know chronologically this isn't uh, probably isn't uh, the right uh, timeline, but let's talk about seven devils because that's how I found out about you. So Sam filled us in about what the seven devils is and his experiences from it. So I'd like to hear a little bit about your experience with it. Um, were you a through hiker going into this or... 
was this kind of your first outing as a through hike? I've, I've never done a hike that big or intense at that time. And I'd also never whitewater kayaked before. So it was, it was a really big experience for me. I'm really, really glad I got to do that one. <laughs> uh, Sam was just posting online looking for people to film for that trip. And we were from the same place and we never, we never, I mean, met up or just, just, you know, missed each other somehow when he was living in Coeur d'Alene, I guess. And so, uh, so he was posting on Facebook looking for a filmer and then my friend Zara just tagged me in it. That was all it was. And, uh, I started talking to him and then he gave me a link to the trip and, I was seeing the uh, the elevation gain and loss for each day in his itinerary, which was really thorough. You could tell he's a professional. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be something. Especially, I have all my adventure gear, and then on top of that, all my camera gear. So every every few pounds on a trip like that, I think, really changes the game a little bit. But but yeah, that was that was crazy. I, I had just gotten back from a job in uh, China, and drove up and we flew back to LA and then I drove my truck up and met him at the trailhead with Brianna and um and that morning was the first time I ever saw them and we were all excited and uh the the pack rafts company let us use the rafts because we were going to use them in the uh in the video and so everyone's really excited about the video and then in the first quarter mile of the trail the trail just crumbled underneath my feet. I was holding my my camera and my most expensive lens, and the gravel just took me right into the river. And I was completely submerged, completely destroyed my camera. Uh. And then all I thought was, man, I just met these people. They're so cool. Sam's been planning this trip for five years. Uh, this airy rafts was graceful enough to let us use their rafts if we could just make the stupid video and I just ruined it for everybody and so I was thinking in my head I'm like man well at least I'm okay but like this is terrible but we we made it to um made it to camp that, that night and I just let my camera out the lens off and the battery out in the sun the next morning and it just worked the it still works to this day it's it was incredible incredibly lucky because I've destroyed cameras before and drones before and none of them have ever come back from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and this was a trip where we were out there. So right. there was no, you know, going to town and getting a new camera or anything like that. So it just worked and we were able to film that. And, and, uh, I've lived in Idaho my whole life, but I've, I didn't even know about, I never been to Hell's Canyon and I didn't even know about the seven devils. So experiencing that for the first time firsthand with I mean it was it was incredible and then when it came to uh the pack rafts that was really interesting because I'd only uh paddled kayaks in the lake before and both times I did it were really terrible experiences (laughs) it was both in the winter both times got caught in storms and both times almost got frostbite and hypothermia so so that was my only experiences with kayaks in general, let alone these let, little inflatable rafts. And so where we put in happened to be the, uh, the biggest rapid, the highest grade of the whole entire trip. And uh, I obviously wanted to film, you know, 
Sam the professional do it. <laughs> and so I actually had to paddle that first rapid by myself and I was terrified. And the only thing Sam said was, don't go in this hole, don't go in this hole. And so I get up there and I'm feeling confident, you know, I can go right, I can go left, I can go forward, I can go backwards. I'm pretty sure I'm holding the paddle the right direction. And first thing I do is just get sucked into that hole, flipped upside down, <laughs> and then just yard sailed. I don't know if it's called yard sailing and kayaking, but that's what it's called in it, skiing. It may as well be, right? <laughs> yeah, where, where uh, yard sails where you lose your everything. <laughs> and, so, and so I went up and got my raft back and got my paddle back, and I had a big smile on my face. And then, and then we did the, the rest of the river, and yeah. That was, I don't know if you have any more questions about that trip, but it was really cool. Well, that's pretty ambitious. I mean, I, I'm not sure your track record is great for first time adventures, but it seems like you plow through, <laughs> plow through the first time and, and enjoy the rest of it. But, you know, for a guy that's never been uh, kayaking on rapids to take a pack raft down, no doubt. I mean, I've never been in a pack raft, but I got to think that it doesn't quite track the way a, a normal kayak does. So that's got to be a handful in and of itself. And then to get into some serious rapids like that, that's uh, that's pretty ambitious. Yeah, for for my track record, every time I come back from a trip, I'm like, well, you can't win them all. And, <laughs> <laughs> and my mom told me, let's see here, I uh, was right after, kind of halfway through my California trip when I was in the truck, I... Uh, I climbed a crane in Beverly Hills, and I told my dad about it, and I knew that I didn't want my mom hearing about it, but he just told her. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, she knows now. And so I think when I got back from that trip, my mom said, Edwin, I don't care what you do, but just tell me after you do it, not before. So I don't have to worry about you. I already know you're okay. Like, okay, <laughs> right. so, so right. given my track record, that's kind of what I do. I'll just I'll tell her after. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a good plan. Well, yeah, my motto lately has become, uh, if uh, you can't break them, if you don't try, I keep uh, smacking my ribs on various objects with handlebars. Just uh, <laughs> last week, I did it on a snowmobile up in Montana. We were snowmobiling Big oh. Sky. I was just on the mend, you know, from doing it on my dirt bike, uh, I don't know, a few months ago, and then uh, did it in the powder in the snowmobile, and now I'm in pain again. So, but like I said, it makes part of, it's part of the adventure. If you know, if you're, uh, if you're not trying hard enough, you're, you're probably not going to break anything. So. Yeah, well, I mean, just today I, I broke my board in half and and was just this big wave came up that was way bigger than the rest of the set and I couldn't get under it in time and just broke it and washed up to shore and this little girl was holding the nose of my board and I was like, oh, shoot, well, that's not good. And then I looked out and everyone else was fine, but it was just me that just got it and it always seems to be that way. So it sounds like you might be in the same boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I am. I just accept it at this point and, and explain myself to my wife when I get back and she just shakes her head anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about a little bit of world travel. Um, I think what I want to do is just get um, a little perspective from your eyes and a little taste of each of the places that you've been to so far. So let's talk about Cuba. Obviously, this is a new thing to Americans being able to travel over there legally um you guys yeah. i don't know when you went over but uh judging by the videos it looks like you had another blast over there so what's cuba like Cuba's incredible and i would definitely suggest uh to anyone listening to go right now because the flights just opened from america and there's going to be a lot more tourism there and a lot more american hotels and a lot less of the 
the classic cars and I don't, everything that I really liked about Cuba, you're going to have to go soon to really get it, I feel. And so what we did is um, we actually started in Costa Rica because we went before it was technically legal. And um, so you, before you could fly directly from the States, you could just fly to a different country that has direct flights and then just go straight from there because they, they really don't care. I mean, they didn't even open my passport when we got there. They just held it, looked at it, and then handed it back to me. Wow. And on the way out, they actually asked me if I wanted it stamped or not because that could get you into trouble coming back into the States. <laughs> right, so, yeah, I don't think I want to do that. So, but yeah, they asked me. They, they really do not care. But, but yeah, Cuba was – I had no idea what to expect. I – I honestly am so arrogant. I didn't even know it was an island. I came to Costa Rica with my friends who were all going and, um, and I kind of, you know, just asked where it was. I, I heard about the whole Cuban Missile Crisis and all the famous news and I knew there was cool old cars there and knew that they'd been cut off from imported goods and all that and that's about all I knew. So, so uh, we just went. We had no plans at all. And our first night there, we ended up getting out of the airport really late. And it was just pouring down rain. There was two feet of water in the road. So none of the taxis were going anywhere. And all the hotels were sold out because there was some kind of event in Havana, the main city. And so we, we were homeless and it was raining. And um, we were just out and poured on until... I don't even know how early in the morning was. I don't even want to think about it. But we finally found a hotel that would take us in, and then we just slept all day. <laughs> and after that, our trip was just incredible. And in Cuba, there's homestays. There's not a lot of hotels and hostels or anything like that, but you stay with, with families. And so we had a pretty big group. We had one, two, five people, maybe six, including myself. Yeah, so... So we would just get a whole house to ourselves. There's a little blue sign with an anchor on it above the houses that let you. So you just go up and ask if they're available. And it's, it's really cool because the, it's just a room in the family's house. And some of the houses were really nice. We stayed in this three-story house with like marble floors and a spiraling staircase and a patio on the roof that you could see the ocean from. And it was $7 per person and we got breakfast included wow. and it's a it's a homemade breakfast too so it was really cool and all the people there were really nice and friendly and and uh i'm i really like cars and i think anyone can like those 50s and 60s bel airs and the the old ford trucks with the i don't know exactly what they're called but, the but just the 50s and 60s yeah the flare sides yeah yeah, yeah those and, are cool yeah, what's awesome about Cuba is they're still using them for work trucks. I woke up the second morning we were there, and someone was hauling lumber and windows in one of those things. It's like back home in the States, that'd probably be worth a lot of money, and you'd only drive it in car shows. But <laughs> right. there, it's all they have, and, and they keep them nice. It looks like they paint them every year, and they all have brand-new paint, and they're using them as work trucks still, like just like they have for the last 50 years. It's insane. It's so cool. Oh yeah, they're down there in weather that uh, that preserves them. As long as you keep the the salt air off of them, wash them every once in a while. There's nothing like salt or or uh, mag chloride on roads to to tear them apart. Yeah, and they all have redone with 
little tiny Disa Kia engines that I thought was really interesting. I saw but, that the other day. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. We took uh, our, our longest cab was in a Bel Air, and it has one of those little uh, Kia engines, and um, it was from Havana to Trinidad. It's about a two-hour drive, and at first, we got a flat tire, and so we were on the side of the road. We're like, oh, it's not that big a deal, and at second, the engine just started. I don't know what happened, and it sounded like it wasn't getting any coolant, and it was just clicking really hard, and so our, uh, our cabbie just pulled down a bus and then the bus took us the rest of the way and and it was it was quite the experience that we got there and there i don't know really helpful really nice people i really enjoyed my time there cool very cool i'd definitely like to get down there okay so how about nicaragua this is not a place i know much about myself i am just as naive about nicaragua as you were (laughs) with cuba and not being an island (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah uh that's nicaragua's it's uh not not very touristy. I, I didn't get to spend too much time there, which is part of the reason why I'm back. I'm going to go do a lot more of it. And uh, But I mainly went because the surfing is, is awesome there. We stayed in a, a little hostel in San Juan del Sur, and it's right on the beach. And there's a truck every morning that'll take you to eight or nine different beaches. And it's a $5 shuttle. So again, these things are super cheap. <laughs> for traveling, especially in in countries like like Nicaragua, but but yeah, you take this little shuttle to these beaches and huge, beautiful beaches that look like the beach from Lost. And at one of them, we were the only people there. The small group from the hostel I was with. It's giant, wide open, just as beautiful as any of the beaches in Hawaii, and you have it all to yourself. It's it's amazing, and and. Uh, Again, another really cool place. The the truck goes down these little dirt roads with potholes everywhere, and, and you're just in the middle of the jungle, and monkeys are yelling at you from the trees. That was the first encounter I have with hollow monkeys. Have, have you had an encounter with hollow monkeys? <laughs> I have not, no. <laughs> oh, they're, I think they're the loudest animal in the animal kingdom. Like they, The decibels they hit compete with like thunder or something. It's insane, but, <laughs> but they... Yeah, their their survival instinct is just to yell at you as loud as possible. So I thought I was like, I mean, I don't know. I've never been here, like a rhino or something. I don't know where rhinos exist, but it is so loud and it scared me. And then all the locals were laughing at me and they're pointing out in the trees and it's just a bunch of monkeys. But <laughs> tiny monkeys. <laughs> it sounds it sounds like a storm is coming and you should get out of the way. I think they serve their <laughs> evolutionary purpose against me on that one. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's a good defense yeah. mechanism. I like it. Oh, it really is. I mean, think if you were just a little raccoon or something that was going to interfere with their uh, food source. I don't know. <laughs> You'd get out of there. You're not going to mess with those guys. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, give me the highlight of Costa Rica, and then I want to go a little bit more into China because I was uh, watching your videos. I was really pretty intrigued with uh, with the adventurability of China. Um, I think yeah. over here in the West, we don't really look at China that way, but when you finally see yeah. and talk to somebody that's been over there, you're like, holy cow, you know, there's actually uh, quite a bit over there to do. So first of all, Costa Rica, what are your, what are your highlights? What's your favorite thing about Costa Rica? Man, I mean, it's really warm and there's really good surf every single day. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and 
there's jungles coming out of everywhere. I mean, you're at the bus stop. There's a jungle behind it, and there's monkeys that are trying to steal your food, or you're you're at the market, and you can see the jungle from there, and and you can get to anywhere in Costa Rica in a bus in six hours. It's it's really cool, and um, all the roads are just beautiful because they follow jungle or ocean the whole way through. There's there's never a sore site here. <laughs> And there's, I think, 27% of the entire country is national parks, which is incredible. And to know that that land's going to be preserved. And when you're here, I mean, you can just hike through national parks for forever. I mean, there's, there's no end to it. I've been to three so far, and I've only scratched the surface. I'm still going to spend another two or three weeks here uh, going different places. But, but yeah, it's... The, the animals, the jungle, just the, the health of the ecosystem here is obvious. And I think Costa Rica is also pledging in, by 2020, they want to be carbon neutral. So uh, they're releasing a small amount enough of carbon for carbon dioxide for the trees to produce more uh, air than that, or however it levels out, I'm not totally sure. But but it's a really cool pledge. There's only one other country I know of that's doing it right now, and that's a very small country in Asia called Bhutan. So wow, very cool. That's so good it's, to know. So are yeah, you saving... really cool. Go ahead. Oh, it's really cool for a more uh, populated country to be having a similar goal. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So you're seeing the uh, the same uh, type of low cost in Costa Rica as you did uh, uh, Cuba. Yeah, it's it's not quite as cheap. Um, but still, yeah. <laughs> Compared Very to what cheap, we're, think, we're used to, I'm sure. Yeah, I can I can grab my journal and see what I what I've spent so far because I do write it down every day. But um, but yeah, the the hostel I'm staying in right now, I've got a dorm with with fans blowing in the cool air, which is very nice. This close to the beach is pretty humid, but um, but yeah, I got a bunk bed at a dorm for twelve dollars a night, and there's a swimming pool here that's really nice. They clean it every single day. Um, it's, there's only two buildings between me and the beach and, uh, the people who run it are really nice. And there's a really big kitchen, really nice kitchen for, for hostel standards. And I've been making rice and beans and making big pasta dinners with friends I meet at the hostel and yeah, living really cheaply. I mean, $12 a night for a pool this close to the beach alone is Really good deal, man. man you sound you make it sound really attractive. You're uh, you're selling me for sure. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I'd recommend it to everybody. And and yeah, the the most expensive uh, place I've stayed was in Manuel Antonio on a weekend, which is the most famous beach slash national park here, and that was twenty dollars. So <laughs> nice. My most expensive night so far was twenty dollars. Oh, luxury, so right? <laughs> that's, yeah, exactly. And it was and it was a really nice place. That that included breakfast as well. I gotta mention that. So and coffee. Free coffee, pancakes and pineapple, fresh pineapple. So Right on well, <laughs> well worth the twenty dollar bill. <laughs> yeah, so I imagine you know airfare is not gonna be, you know, it's not gonna be crazy cheap, but once you get down there, I think you it sounds like you make it all up you know, plus more, you know, when you finally uh, yeah. have to, to pay for stuff and the living expenses are, are so much less. And obviously the longer you stay, the more benefit you get. So yeah. I like well, it. honestly, the flights aren't that bad. I met a guy who flew here round trip from Alaska for $400. Really? Holy uh, cow. 
Yeah, so the flights to uh, San Jose are a little more expensive, but Liberia, Costa Rica, which is closer to the Nicaragua, Nicaragua side of Costa Rica, um, you could find flights there from most major cities for under $300 one way. Wow. And uh, yeah, a lot of places. I know you can go there from Seattle for 200 and um, and yeah, there's most of, I don't know, it's most of the places I've looked because I always look if, oh, if I visit my friends in California first and then fly down while I save money. And most of the places I haven't seen much over 300 one way. So it's really not that bad compared to flying to Asia or something from the States. So. Oh yeah, not at all. That's good to, good to know. Never run out of camp stove fuel again. The 180 stove is a natural fuel stove that eliminates the need to carry heavy, bulky fuel canisters. With a generous 6-inch by 7-inch cooking surface, it folds away into a clean, compact, self-forming case that is small enough to fit inside your pocket. At only 10.4 ounces, the additional weight and space savings allows for other important items in your pack. Get more information at 180tac.com and look for it in retailers near you as well as online. Be sure to visit Paragus.com for all of your Minnesota Boundary Waters outfitting needs. Paragus supplies the canoes and the camping gear to make your next wilderness adventure easy and enjoyable. That's P-I-R-A-G-I-S.com. All right, before we yeah. move on to China, um, I want to kind of return the the thanks by letting you plug uh, your YouTube channel because, you know, uh, you're a filmmaker and I'm sure you want to get your work out there. So let's talk a little bit about that before we move on to to learn about China. So uh, your website, noanchor.com, and your YouTube channel is No Anchor TV. So tell me a little bit about that. You have a good handful of uh, excellent quality mm-hmm. videos up there that you've done. Thank you. Yeah, that's... That's how I started making videos, actually. My my very first video is still on there. I think it's called No Anchor Coming Soon, which, you know, the, the newer ones are obviously a lot better. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, my, my roommate in Florida, uh, we decided that we wanted to make videos with cool people, and we wanted to promote uh, just people doing cool things that wouldn't have a voice otherwise. So... We met some surfers who were really good, but they they didn't have a lot of promotability, you know. So we we did a video with them just just for free, just for fun, and and that actually led to a lot of the work that that I've gotten since is doing these free videos, like like the the Seven Devils trip with Sam. I just wanted to promote that trip and promote him as a as a guide and as a wilderness expert and. Um, all the videos I do on No Anchor are for fun with my friends or with people that some of them have just reached out to me in email saying, hey, like, I'm really good at parkour, but, uh, you know, nothing's really happening right now. And it's like, I really, my plans for No Anchor TV in the future is to be a big enough network to where we can find some unseen talent and make a video for them and really help progress their career. Right now, we're not popular enough to really do that but these videos still help people be able to show sponsors what they're made of or 
just be able to remember a really good time. Like we did a, a video of the Cuba trip and that was just really simple, mostly handheld footage, but but everyone on the trip with me was they could show their family kind of what they're doing. And I think that there's such a disconnect between photos and telling people what you did and really showing them what you did. So if you're if you're holding a camera through a house and you're like, I just stayed here and it was $5 for the night and they made us breakfast, then I bring that back home and someone, I feel like I get more of a reaction like, oh, I could do that too, more so than just a picture and coming back with a story. So I really think that's, video is a very, very powerful tool. They say a picture is worth a thousand words and then cameras take 24 pictures a second. So however that math lines up, it's a, lot of <laughs> it's words. A, really, it's, it's a really powerful tool. And, and through my content, and through through what we do with No Anchor, um, I really think our message is 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 you can do it. Figure out figure out what's holding you back. That's the anchor part of it. And then just just don't worry about that. Just do it anyways. And I think that um, also I've been getting really, especially after starting surfing and hiking more, and I got really into rock climbing last year and just really getting more obsessed with the natural world. Um, like I, I love these places and I want these places to be protected, wild places. And I think that the best way to protect them is to get more people in love with them and, and want to protect it as well. Because if you have an army of people wanting to protect places like Yellowstone National Park, which there are, and uh, Paradise Valley just outside of it, which has been threatened from gold mines for forever. <laughs> and uh, they were talking about building a dam in Yellowstone Park before it was even a park, I'm pretty sure, just a few years after. But, um, but I, my main thing is, is if you get people out in nature and they love it, then they're going to want to protect it too. And then if there's more people that want to protect it, then turn it into some profit-making device, then that's when you're going to see the most success. So I think those two things are the main aspects of what, what I want No Anchor to be and what I think it is right now and more so what I want it to be in the future. Things like doing videos of uh, restoring a van and traveling cheaply and having that less of an impact on the environment that goes with it is really cool as well. So I've been, I've been really into that recently too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, the cool, the videos are, are well done. Um, your, your ability to, to shoot and to, to edit is, uh, there's a real talent there for sure. I don't know if you have any training in it, but you know, people go to, um, to YouTube and check out no anchor TV, you know, even if you're just going for some inspiration, uh, you'll get it out of those videos. But if you guys have other things that you need, uh, you know, a, a videographer on or a filmmaker on, um, go check out, uh, no anchor TV and, uh, and give Edwin a, a yell. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. So very well done. Yeah. man. I like it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the best way to contact me is on the, um, is the, the contact form on the website that just goes right to my email and, um, yeah. Okay, great. We'll put, uh, I'm going to put all those links in the show notes, of course, so everybody can uh, go find them there, make it easy on people to, to find you. So, all right, let's go on to China. Um, what is it about China? One, what took you there? And, and two, what were some of the highlights uh, from a, an adventure perspective? Yeah, 
China's China's pretty rad. That's definitely the most different than home place I've ever been. I I gotta say. Um, so what China's about is there's an art exchange that happens between this art company called 188 Art and Yellowstone National Park, where they'll bring over I think about 12 artists every year to Montana, and then every year 12 artists from Montana will go to China, and so. There will be an art show with Chinese artists and artists from Montana in both both countries, and um, it's it's a really cool art exchange. And one of the artists who I'm friends with, who have filmed actually my first documentary project was his project. His name's Abram Boyce, and he's a really good artist and sculptor. And um, he was invited on this trip, and so. I came to make a documentary about the art exchange that had been going on, and more specifically towards what Abram was doing with his art. And he built a energy efficient house in、uh, Montana called the Sun House, and I actually have a video of it on、uh, my channel. I don't know if you saw that one. I did but,、uh, see that. That was、uh, that was yeah,、awesome. yeah. So that's his house. He built it with his brothers and his buddies over I forget how many years, but every single little piece of that house is custom. the The bookshelf is hand carved with cool figures in it that all mean something, and there's words inscribed in different places in the house, and there's a mantle. That's it's a beautiful, beautiful home, and so that was the main interest、uh, for for what the art company just saw his potential, and he did very cool.、Uh, Sculpted chairs that were really unique, and they really liked those. And so, so it was my job to film him do this trip through China and、uh, document what the Chinese artists were doing and what the other American artists were doing. And it turned into a really cool project. It it should be out probably by summer. I I,、uh, I don't know exactly where it will be released, but we could、uh, I could fill you in on that once it is. But、um, Yeah, we went to. We started in Shanghai, and we went four、uh, thousand miles、uh, just deeper into、uh, Western China. And the and the further west you go, the less is. It's like a time machine. The further you go, the the less、um, modern, probably. Is it? Yeah, the the less modern and the more communist. Like what you would、mm-hmm. think of as far as like the old commercials where. Or the the propaganda where people are singing, their, swinging their arms and listening to the song, like you. We actually saw that once we got further west. But in Shanghai, it's like it doesn't even exist anymore.、Hmm. And、uh, there was a huge difference between how people acted as well.、Um, the the artists from Shanghai, for example, we would do、um, these dinners with the people who threw the events. So. There's sponsors for these these art shows that we were doing, and I was filming at. And the sponsors of the event want to take all these respected artists back to their place and have dinner. And or we spend a lot of time on a lot of these people own farms and hospitals that were made with communist money. And so when we'd have these these gatherings, they would play the、uh, one place specifically was a cow farm. And it was、uh, made by communist money, and they'd play the video, the the everyone's swinging their arms, like everyone's happy and everyone's together, 
and it's all because of the government and the government's so great and gives us everything kind of a, a video and all the artists from Shanghai were they left they started laughing and then they actually left the building and the only one who stayed was the mayor of that region huh, no and kidding. so it was really interesting to see that there's just so many people in Shanghai that they and they they have the internet and they know how to get past the internet blocks and so they know it's out there and I think it's just a human instinct to want to be free and so they they just start doing it and there's so many people doing it living free that they can't control it anymore and it's it's I saw that everywhere we went and it was really interesting but that's more of a social thing about China I guess as a traveler yeah it's it's I want to do a documentary about that I want to go back and make a documentary just about that so that's that's probably why it's the first thing I brought up but <laughs> no I like it but no China is huge and it's beautiful and the and the people are beautiful and amazing people and um, we got to go to a lot of really cool places because our, our schedule for the whole time we were there was basically wake up, go to a beautiful spot, all the artists would do open air paintings or whatever their medium was there and then we'd go to one of these dinners by the, the investors. And so that was really what we did the whole time we were there. And um, we got to go to the furthest point of the Great Wall of China. We got to go to um, Deng Yang, which is where uh, I think it's called the Half Moon Temple. Um, but it's just a beautiful temple with a moon-shaped, uh, they called it a lake. I would call it a pond. <laughs> but it's, it's naturally occurring, and it's in the middle of this desert. It's a real-life oasis like you see in Looney Tunes. And... Um, and uh, we got to ride uh, camels through that part of the desert. And uh, that's the, the Gobi Desert. And I actually crashed my drone the day before. So I was able to go up in a hang glider and stick my camera out in the open air and film some aerial shots of the sand dunes. Nice. So, so that, was, that was really cool. And that's actually something you can do as a, as a tourist, too, we, we later figured out. Um, there's a whole company that will let you do that for like $60 or something. So if you're in that part of China, I would definitely recommend it because seeing that temple from that high, you realize because the Silk Road traded through there and that's what made that part of China uh, livable. That's why people came there is for that trade. And this was just an oasis for them. They had water, there was trees. I mean... But seeing it from up there and just seeing desert all around it, I just couldn't imagine what it was like if you were hiking for a month and then found that place. I couldn't imagine how excited I would be. But that was really cool. And then there's also the, uh, the Buddhist caves there for uh, people when traveling on that, the Silver Road is how, uh, is how people were trading culture and religion at the time. And so there's... There's just hundreds of caves filled with, filled with beautiful paintings of uh, Buddhas and a bunch of things that I don't really understand yet because I haven't read into it very much. But, but it was really cool. They had the second biggest Buddha statue in the world in there that was completely hand-painted. And we got to go into that cave, and that was 
that was incredible. Those those spiritual places, you really feel some kind of energy there. That and anywhere that old too, that people have been for that long, it's it was really really neat. Yeah, but trying to think of some of the other cool things that we did in China. Well, I thought you guys were pretty impressed with Dung Yong. You know, the in the video, you guys were going through, you know, that that area where there was a lake, and you guys were, were walking over the lights. And it wasn't oh, so yeah. much about the lights, but it was just about what the the time and the energy and the resources they put into their their city over there. And like I said, yeah. I think a lot of us over on the, in the Western world wouldn't see China that way. I thought that was pretty interesting, actually. The scale of of that city is absolutely massive. And the population isn't even there yet. And we saw that all over China. The, mm-hmm. the governments would, they're expecting, at least this is what they say, they're expecting a big population boom of people coming from rural places to cities and getting city-type jobs instead of just farming rice for their own family kind of thing. And they're expecting millions of people to make this transition. And so they just have huge cities that are already built that don't have any people yet. And um, Abram's dad, who came on the trip, he's in the, that video you're speaking of, he's, a, uh, he's an engineer and he's been working on power plants his whole life. And he was saying, this is how we ought to do it in the States. They're, they're building the infrastructure before they need it. Because right. we wait until we need it, and then if any kind of disaster happens or something, and then we have people that don't have places to go. And, and he was saying that this is a really good way of doing it and and Dung Young I mean it's it looks like uh, the streets are as wide as the boulevards in Las Vegas and three cars will pass a minute <laughs> nobody's using them <laughs> yeah nobody's using them but they're there like they are ready to rock and roll and, and that's the the whole city everything is brand new the the little part we were walking on there's there's little stepping stones um just throughout this river and it goes on for miles. That's what we were just blown away by. It wasn't like one little backlit stepping stone across the river. It goes on for miles and it's all community based and there's, there's exercise equipment all along and it's free to use for everyone. So it's like an outdoor gym with a really cool water park that's free for everyone. That's cool. Yeah. (laughs) And these weren't even stepping stones. They were like piers that were yeah. sunk in the water. I mean, somebody had to put them in there and, and fill them every single step. It wasn't just like little stones in a river. I mean, it took a lot of work. And then yeah. the electricity and the lighting that they put into it was pretty fascinating. And they have miniatures of famous buildings from around the world, like the big sail building from Dubai. They have a miniature of that there. Oh, really? And yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting. I'm not, And there wasn't any plaque saying, this is what Dubai's like. It was more like... A, just a sculpture that is directly based off of that building. I don't know. It's really interesting, but yeah, there's a but, lot of copies over there. I know. I don't know if it's Dongyang is the is the city or not, but I've seen some documentaries on the. You know, they'll build out a whole um, Jackson, Wyoming. You know, the city of Jackson. They'll build that out over there, and then they'll build out the Dubai, and they'll build it out the New York City, and they'll build yeah. out all these places in the country because people over there are either expats or or locals will want to go live the way that, you know, the people in that real city will live and they'll just copy everything around the world and build that out for them over there. It's pretty an interesting way to go about it. And it's at least what, what I found while I was there is 
it's not common for Chinese to leave China. I uh, I talked to an English teacher, and she said, "Oh yeah, I'd love to go to America." And I'm like, "Well, you should. You know, like if you come, like I'll I'll show you places and stuff." And and she said, "Yeah, I don't know how to get a passport." And really, I was like, "Really? That's that's really interesting." Well, she didn't even say that at first. She's like, "Oh, I can't." And I'm like, "Oh, why not? Like you just get a passport and you go because that's the way I see the world, you know." But I think it's a common misconception for me to think that other people have what I have, but um, but she, I, I looked it up on my phone. Just uh, they don't have Google there, but whatever I was allowed to use in China, and I just looked up how to get a passport, and there was no results, hmm. or how to get a how to get a Chinese passport, and there was no results. And I was, and I'm sure that if you're in Shanghai, you could figure it out, but it might still be one of those things that's only open to. The wealthy. I'm not. I'm not totally sure on that one, but it seemed to me like it was harder, or less people talked about it, or wanted to leave even than um, than in how easy it would be in America. Right. So, right. Interesting. And it's probably something that'll change pretty soon here. But sounds like. But it. um, yeah, that was really interesting. Very cool. Very cool. Well, man, I love the uh, the little highlight you gave of uh, a world travel for us. I think it does uh, shed some some uh, light on places that we can go to, we should go to, and lo and behold, it's not expensive to do so. So I appreciate you spending the time doing that. Um, I love that you're out doing it. I love that you figured out how to earn a living and follow your dreams at the same time. I, if that doesn't serve as some inspiration, I don't know what does. So. Um, again, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And I hope that people will go to noanchor.com and check out your videos and get inspired. And, uh, and, uh, even if they need your services, get a hold of you. So Edwin, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, thank you. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Past guest Gary Collins has just released his new book, Going Off the Grid, the how-to book of simple living and happiness. It's available in Amazon and Kindle format at primalpowermethod.com. Go get your copy today. Thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and be sure to tell all your friends about the show. Everybody deserves a little adventure. Until the next episode, get out there and try something new.